Father, we thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for uh, each person who's here. I pray you bless us with a good understanding of the passages we're going to look at today from Scripture and that you'd help us to be uh, godly husbands, those of us who are husbands, those who one day will be, that we would remember uh, the things that we learn from uh, Scripture. And Lord, it's a real challenge to be loving and gracious and to be uh, Christ-like in our marriages. And uh, yet we thank you for uh, the very special, wonderful uh, women that you raised up for us um, to be married to. And we thank you for uh, preparing us for that. And we want to be better and to, to get better at, at being loving and gracious and to be uh, Christ-like examples and walking examples of the gospel in our homes. So help us to study our, our wives and to love them as Christ loves the church and to have a single-minded devotion to them as our, uh, as our highest love in this world. Um, a second only to our affection and devotion to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last time we talked about bitterness. Remember that passage from Colossians 3.19? Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. And we looked at that Greek um, term, pekrino, which refers to um, sharp, biting, cruel, severe, harsh words kind of attitude that sometimes guys can have because they've been hurt a lot or they they feel slighted a lot over the years uh, in their marriages. So scripture gives us a direct command, don't do that. We're not supposed to be bitter toward uh, our wife. Okay, so that's the the thing that we're looking for. And we also looked at Hebrews 12, 14 to 16. It was a really important passage. Uh, Bitterness is something that the Holy Spirit tells us has roots. Okay, so what, what are some of those roots like that can really bring bitterness in a marriage? Unresolved conflict. Yeah. You just push stuff under the rug and mm-hmm. never deal with it. Yep. And that root of bitterness can grow. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a, a minister one time say, Yeah, me and my wife still hold hands, but it's really more of a sign of a truce. I just think that's terrible. Yeah, that cannot be the, the way we, we function. But a lot, a lot of married people get so used to that that there, there is no resolution because they don't know how to fight fair uh, and how to um, stay on topic and not engage in like throwing everything but the kitchen sink or bringing up old stuff that they, they can't get to a resolution. It's more of a competition than it is let's work together to bring resolution. That can cause bitterness. And that can cause guys to be comfortable saying really hurtful things or um, being bitter, being cruel uh, towards her, or try, having vengeful thoughts even towards you know, your wife. And we can't do that. We have to, we have to be Christ-like in that way. Okay. Uh, let's listen to that passage, Hebrews 12, 14 to 16. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled okay so in marriages is one of the key places that those roots of bitterness will spring up and uh, will cause trouble isn't that kind of an understatement lest there any be any root of bitterness that causes trouble okay so we have to watch out watch out for bitterness or hate or vengeance or um ugly thoughts and attitudes developing in our marriages. <clears throat> Pardon me. Priolo says this about bitterness. He says it's the result of responding improperly to hurt. And he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. 
Scripture likens bitterness to a root. To a root. Roots have to be planted. So let me ask you, what is the seed that, when planted in your heart, sprouts into a root of bitterness? It is a hurt. Someone hurts you. It is as if he drops a seed under the soil of your heart. You can choose to respond to that hurtful seed in two ways. You can either reach down and pluck up the seed by quickly forgiving your offender, or you can begin to cultivate the seed by reviewing the hurt over and over again in your mind. Bitterness is the result of dwelling too long on a hurt. It's the result of not truly forgiving an offender. So that's a good, a good statement, because forgiveness is really going to be the heart of, of our marriage, as we have to be gracious and forgiving to get close and to be intimate. <clears throat> so, brothers, the, we get hurt the most where there's conflict in our marriages. That's when people hurt each other, when we fight. And a lot of men, often Christian men, can think a lot of very negative thoughts about their wives, can have um, real, a real negative view of her. Okay, Bitter roots <clears throat> often receive a lot of water when there's conflict. And brothers, those unkind, unforgiving thoughts that we often think about her, that stops us from making progress in growing more intimate with her and growing closer to her in terms of understanding and trust and forgiveness, forgiveness, friendship, and companionship. Okay, So unforgiving thoughts, unkind thoughts. So we have to change the way we think about our wives. Because like I said, a lot of times men have been hurt. We've been hurt over and over and over again by certain things, being feeling slighted, neglected, our, our needs aren't met or whatever, and we develop kind of a, a bitter disposition. We think poorly of her. Okay? So negative, bitter thoughts about our wife, um, it's not that they hinder intimacy, they stop it. Okay? So these, I was thinking about this. Like if you have a pattern of thinking negatively about the woman you're married to for, for whatever reason, that's not just a hindrance, that destroys intimacy with her. <clears throat> so if our marriage is in a ditch and we've got some bitterness in our heart toward our wife, the first thing we got to do is change the way we think about her. We have to change the way we think about her. When she comes up in our minds, we've got to stop thinking bad things. We've got to stop thinking negatively of her. So take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 2. <coughs> Revelation chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. Revelation chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5, here you have the letter that Jesus sent to the, the angel of the church of Ephesus. is probably the pastor, the, the minister there. So verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Okay, so th think about that before we read the, the next verse. What had the church at Ephesus lost? He commends them for a bunch of things, but then what, what did they lose? Their first love. Yeah, their first love, which is obviously supposed to be our love for who? The Lord Jesus for God himself. And now notice the, the counsel that Jesus gives them in terms of dealing with losing their first love. Look at verse 5. 
there. Verse 5 says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Okay. So, hey, Cole. See you, man. So the same counsel applies to us. I thought this was a good application of, of this passage that Priola makes. Same counsel applies to us when the love we have for our wife has grown dull or gray or weak or we've, we've lost that first love. Okay, it's not an invalid application of the passage. At first I thought this is a little, this is a bit of a stretch, but I think it really, it really does capture a, a good point here. Remember, the love you have for your wife is in a category all its own. You know, yes, we're called to love our neighbor. Yes, I love my children. I love my Christian brothers. I love my Christian sisters in our church. I love my family. But the love I have for Amy is unique. And it's different from all other loves in the world. Okay, it's a singularly unique relationship. In all my earthly relationships with people, she reigns supreme in terms of my attention, my affection. Okay? Because I'm not told to love anyone but her as Christ loved the church. Okay, so it's a completely unique relationship. And as such, my dear brothers, it's got to also be singularly important to us. It can't take a backseat to anything in our lives. Even if it's good stuff like ministry-related stuff and, and like good things that are worthwhile. It's, she's got to occupy that first place in this world in terms of my affections and my time and my, my investment. Okay, So let's break down verse 5 there into each phrase that said... <clears throat> Revelation 2.5. Here's Jesus' counsel to losing your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. It's a great, great phrase. If your love for your wife is cold, it's because, in one sense, you've, you've forgotten how warm and wonderful it once was. I mean, you married her because you adore her, right? You love her. You're excited about her. Okay? Some bitterness has begun to grow in your heart toward her, maybe. Uh, you were once in the habit of doing things for her and toward her that were loving. You thought loving and good thoughts about her, too. You thought about her a lot more than you do now because, you know, responsibilities, the kids, stresses, fights you've had in the past that haven't gone well, hurtful things have been said and done. If you want to uproot those bitter roots, you need to sit and take a few moments to go over how much you used to love her and how far you've fallen from that place. So I think that's a great piece of advice. Like, remember when you first met her, when you first saw those qualities that really drew you to her, and you used to sit around, and she was like your, your first thought in the morning and your last thought at night was, was her, right? Because you were excited about her. And she's, she's the stuff, man. She is it. So sit and think about those days when she was your first and last thought and how excited you once were about her. <clears throat> and make it your goal to recover that lost love do those loving things you used to do. I mean, how many of you here could, could like go over some things that you used to do a lot? You don't do as often now. Everyone's nodding a little bit, like kind of gingerly. Yeah. Things we used to do because we were, you were excited, things you knew she really liked that really meant a lot to her and you saw it meant a lot to her and you saw it made her happy. So it's just like, you know, pour gasoline and C4 on the flame, right? I'm going to just keep her thinking and knowing how much I adore her. So we want to go back to doing those things again, except this time, don't stop doing them. Keep going, keep pursuing, okay? So then Jesus says in the next phrase of verse 5, repent and do the first works. 
Now, what do you think he's talking about when he, when he talks about our relationship with God? When you first came to know Christ, or maybe you're a covenant child that you, you've always, uh, you've never had a day in your life that you didn't know and love the Lord, or, or you experienced a, an awakening at some point. What are some of the things that you did when you were just first, when it was brand new and you were just so excited about knowing Christ? Mm-hmm. Possibly could. Yeah, went to everything. Couldn't get enough of that Bible. Okay, remember that when I was, when I was 18 and God finally broke through. It was like I just couldn't wait to get my college score done. So I could just sit and read my Bible and just read, 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 read. Okay, and then that, that waxes and wanes some. And then you go through periods where you're stressed or you're sad or things are harder. And then you got to remember what Paul says, I beat my body. I, I want to... to be disciplined about staying close to God. And this has got to be my, my priority. I've got to be strong in this and keep going in this and be consistent in this. <clears throat> okay, so Jesus knows. A lot of times people are first converted. Um, they're just as excited as can be. What, what are brand new Christians often very good at? I'm sorry? Evangelizing. Evangelizing others. They want the whole world to know about it, about being forgiven and being set free from slavery to all these sins that used to just drown me and destroy me and were killing me and ruining all my relationships. And now I, there's a, a whole new direction now, and I've got a whole new outlook on everything, on my job and all my relationships. Everything has changed now. Jesus is saying to these people, you guys have, have grown cold in your affection for me. So number one, repent of that sin, but do the things you used to do. And Priolo makes it, that's a brilliant application. I've never thought about that in terms of, you know, my, my earthly love for Amy, which is also totally unique, just like my love for God is. So do the things you used to do and rekindle the, the fire there and write little notes and get, you know, whatever kind of flowers that she likes and, and do little things around the house and be, be thinking of, of things like that. Okay. And, and do it without the agenda. And this better bring back summer from the winter weather <laughs> okay <laughs> just do it because it's the right thing to do you do it because you're called to do that okay i mean jesus doesn't love us and lay his life down for us because of what he gets out of this relationship okay it's more so this is what this is his character he just loves that's what we're called to do as well okay so repent and do the first works now the westminster larger catechism has a great definition of repentance what is repentance unto life? It's question 76. Listen to this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, and upon the apprehension of God's mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, he so grieves for and hates his sins as that he turns from them all to God. So when Jesus calls us to repent, what does the word repent mean? Remember? Turning your back. Yeah, turning away from and a change of, of was that you said, Jim, a change of mind. Yeah, it's a, that's what really the word metanoia, the Greek word means to change your mind, to turn away. Okay. <clears throat> so we want to change our minds, change the way we think about our wife and the way we behave toward her. So we have to repent of that. So we've got to change our mind about her. And if we're used to thinking bitter, unforgiving, bad, vindictive, or wicked thoughts about her, that's what we need to repent of. That is a sin. That's a sin to do that, to sit around and mull over ways that she's failed us or ways that she uh, has not been everything that she should be for us. We shouldn't sit and, and dwell on things like that. So repent of that. Remember the love that you once had and then rekindle it. 
So we need, by the power of Christ, to change our way of thinking and to do the first works, the things we did when we first loved her. <clears throat> now, um, Priola says, he did not give them some feeling-oriented solution to their problems, such as you need to reach down into the depths of your hearts and stir up that warm, fuzzy feeling that you had for me when you first became Christians. Rather, he tells them to change the way they think as well as the way they behave. He says, do the first works. Okay? He doesn't say, feel love for me. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He just says, go back into doing the things that you used to do. Go back to doing the stuff that you once did that really stirred that love for me and really stirred that love for your wife. Okay? So if our marriages are rocky, if they're cold, because we've lost our, our first love for her in, in this world, we need to repent of that and change our way of thinking uh, from bitter to gracious, kind and loving. And we also need to do the first works. What did you do that made her want to marry you? Think about that. I mean, you had to do something. You had to, you had to get good at this, right? Like so many guys, I've done so much, a lot more marriage counseling than I ever thought I would, would do when I first went into the ministry. I've done so much. But it, it just goes back to the same things over and over and over again. Guys, they're not walking closely with God, and they stop pursuing her. They get bogged down with stress, finances, there's kids, sometimes there's illnesses, and it's just, it just weighs down people, and they, they stop. <clears throat> it's just, I just want to go to my man cave. If you have a man cave, burn the man cave, okay? <clears throat> man caves are bad. You want to, to be engaged and be there and try to be with them, be with her, okay? So what did you do that made her want to marry you? How did you act toward her when you were courting and pursuing her? How did you deal with her sin <clears throat> early on? You probably weren't vindictive about it. You were probably more, more patient with her early on than you are now, okay, if you've been married for a while. How often did you call her? How often did you text her, write her notes, buy her things? How often did you think about how much you love her, how excited you were about her? So repent and do the first work. So guys, that makes sense? I like that advice from Revelation 2. So the stuff I used to do, I got to just keep doing that. So I want to be, of all, of all the things I do, yes, I want to be good at my job. I want to be a good provider. But the thing in this world that I'm the best at, there's nobody that knows how to love this woman like I do. Like, I know how to make her happy. I know how to put that smile on her face. And she handed her heart to me. And I promised before God and witnesses that I would love her and hold her and comfort her as long as we both shall live. So I've, I've got to press on and do those things, okay? And also always trusting in the finished work of Christ that he died for the ways I fail in those ways, okay? <clears throat> so Jesus says, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know what that means? It means you guys aren't going to have a church. I'm taking the church out of here. That's one of the ways God judges areas, places. If you guys don't love me, if, you, if you're not faithful to me, I will remove your churches. I will take them away from you. <clears throat> okay. So, Priolo says this. So you must do the deeds you did at first to, with, and for your wife. If you desire to obey scripture, rediscover the lost romantic emotion, emotions you once had for her, and replace any bitterness toward her with feelings of love. As you change the way you treat your wife and think about her, your feelings for her will change proportionately for the better as well. Here is Christ's counsel in a nutshell. Remember, rethink, and redo. 
Okay, now he's talking about his wife here. Kim and I have been married for less than a year. It was a Saturday morning. She was hurt by something I had done. No matter how I tried, I couldn't seem to resolve the conflict with words alone. After about 20 or 30 minutes, I decided to do something radical. I wrote her a note explaining that I was going to the store, making it clear I'd be back momentarily. I left the note on the kitchen table and went out to buy her some flowers. I distinctly remember the drive to the flower shop. I was hurt and very angry with Kim as I pleaded with the Lord. Please help her to see how unreasonable she's being. I was rehearsing some of the conflict in my mind, partially cultivating that root of bitterness, yet I was in the process of showing her love. My mind was struggling with cursing her, but my body was in the process of blessing her. I was, as an act of my will and in direct contradiction to my emotions, trying to overcome her evil with good. So Romans twelve twenty one: do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the commandment. As I continued driving to the store, trying to fight against bitterness, my emotions continued to torment me. I walked into the store resolutely determined to fight back biblically, but still, still struggling with bitter feelings. And then it happened. The moment I picked up those flowers, my entire thought pattern and emotional response immediately and radically changed. You see that? By just doing the first works, doing that, your thoughts will follow. Feelings will follow. That, and that's what, all the way through the Bible, isn't that the kind of the consistent pattern? Just do what I tell you. God's just constantly, just obey me. Everything else will fall into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will, will fall into place. Okay, so if we just act and do those first works, what we're supposed to do, everything will follow that. And I thought that was a, that, the reason I just cut and pasted that out of my electronic Kindle. I thought, that is brilliant. Is he struggling the whole way there to the store? You know, she must really like flowers. That's not going to be the same thing for every, every woman. She must really like a certain kind of flowers. But on the way there, he's like, I'm just so ticked off at her. She really hurt me. She really sinned against me. But here he's just, I'm just going to do what I know is the right thing to do, overcome evil with good. And once he's holding the flowers in his hands, it, it kind of melted away a lot of that bitterness. Just do what you're supposed to do, and the other stuff will follow. Does that make sense? I thought that was a brilliant insight. Like, I highlighted that on my Kindle. Like, man, I need, I've got to remember that. Like, you just do the right thing and trust God. Just do the right thing and trust God. So listen to that again. Then it happened when he was holding the flowers. The moment I picked up those flowers, my entire thought pattern and emotional response immediately and radically changed. <clears throat> I can't wait to see the expression on her face when I give her these flowers, I thought. As soon as she sees them, she's going to melt. <clears throat> she won't be able to stay upset with me now. This is going to knock her socks off. She won't be able to resist any longer. The drive home was quite different from the drive to the flower shop. Excitement and anticipation grew in me as I rehearsed what I was going to say to her. My heart began to fill with loving feelings that had eluded me all morning. I was actually looking forward to the ensuing conversation. I walked through the door with an entirely different attitude from when I left. As I presented the flowers to her, she was obviously moved. I knew that the flowers were not going to solve the problem, but would probably open the door for us to resolve the conflict biblically. When Kim realized that I was going to show her love in the face of her being less than loving to me, she softened. That makes sense. What is our instinct? If your wife does something, I mean, they, they know how to hurt us because they know us really, really well. What's our instinct? They hurt us. I'm going to hurt you back. Yeah, I'm going to give you the cold shirt. I'm going to do whatever, you, you know. I'm going to withhold little things that I know you really need from me. Really, as a form of punishment. as just childish for us to act that way. 
is not the way. Aren't you thankful God doesn't do that with us? That Jesus doesn't do that to us? There's things I, I will confess have been married. It's coming up this coming March. So a couple, or actually next month, 27 years been married. And I've done that before. I know she needs physical affection that's non-sexual. Just walk past, rub her on the back, rub her the small of her back, or, you know, grab her by the arm real gently. You know, love you, babe. And I've not done that to punish her. Isn't that terrible? That's pathetic. Now, that doesn't happen much anymore. But I, don't, I don't remember the last time I did that. But, I mean, I've been married for almost 30 years. I mean, that's, long, that's older than most of you guys have even been alive. <clears throat> okay, so it's, it's been a while. I've, I've face-planted enough times to, like, to know, okay, that was stupid. Okay, so was that. So was that. So this has got to go. This attitude's got to change. You can't do this anymore. And I've had to go to her many times and just say, I make no excuses for myself. Um, you're married to a rotten person, and I'm sorry. And uh, I'm I'm gonna work on changing this or that. And um, and God will. And that's that's the thing that I've seen again and again. She'll follow you. Your walk with Christ and how you act, and you're the initiator. You're the leader. She'll follow along with you if you're good at that. She can't be the leader. She's not designed by God to do that. We have to do that. We've got to be the ones that put our hearts in the chopping block in front of her. She might chop into it. Well, so what? You keep doing good. You keep doing the first works. You keep loving. And you just pray that she'll follow you. And if you're married to a godly woman, and I think all of you are, she will follow you. Okay? <clears throat> but I love that illustration. I thought that was really good. What are you cackling about, you single guys? <laughs> <laughs> But you will be. You will be. <clears throat> okay, so let's see. Did I read the whole thing there? Yeah, yeah. All right, so now take your Bibles and look at Romans 12, uh, 17 to 21. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12 is a really great chapter of God's Word. It's kind of like the big application section, or the beginning of the application section of all that theology in Romans 1 to 11. <clears throat> I had a, a friend that I hadn't seen in many, 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 many years. And he was actually at my father's funeral. And I hadn't seen him in at least two decades. And uh, he was a real mentor to me when I was in college. But he pushed me when I was a freshman, when I was 18, to memorize Romans 12. And he, like, stood there and recited it to me. Um, and I was like, wow, you memorized the whole thing. But it's such a great chapter. So much important stuff in it. But look at um, Romans 12, beginning at verse 17. And just reflect on each of these and apply them, especially in marriage. Repay no one evil for evil. Well, that is such an important commandment because that is the instinct. That's the instinct. If someone is evil towards you, I'm going to do to him as he's done to me. I'm going to do to her as she has done to me. And then it says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Okay? Now, we can defend ourselves and things like that if someone attacks you or whatever, but we're not to take vengeance on people. We're not to try to get back at anyone, especially the person we're married to. You don't try to get back at her. If she sins against us, that's not the pr- proper response. Now, verse uh, 20 Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Okay. <clears throat> evil, evil's the enemy. Okay. Evil and sin, that's the enemy. So how do we conquer it when it happens? When our wife sins against us and vengeance enters our mind, hurting her back comes into our scope and she now is our target. We need to hear God's word there. Do not be overcome by evil. So guys, if we, if we lash back or if we try to fire back or hurt her in some way, in any way, even a subtle, passive-aggressive, whatever kind of way, we've been overcome by evil then. It beat us. We were defeated by it. So the Holy Spirit is saying, don't be overcome by evil, by being vengeful. And I can't think of a place where that happens more often than marriage. Because that's where you, your sin affects her more than any other human being. And hers affects you more than any other human being. So you're going to hurt each other a lot. Because you're sinful and she's sinful and can be selfish. And the Holy Spirit says, don't be overcome by that. Don't be, do not be overcome by evil by taking vengeance. And that's a strong word to think. I take vengeance on my wife. If you reflect on it and think about your actions, that's exactly what we often do. It's exactly what we often do we do that, we've been defeated by evil. We've been overcome by it. So when evil happens and sin happens to us, we are to overcome it with good. Okay? So that's the key. We are not allowed by God to let her sin provoke us to sin. If she does evil, we do good in response. So this marriage stuff, it's not for the faint of heart, is it? Like this is the true, the true measure of a man. Like this is, this is where you separate you know, the men from the boys. This is, this is the, the real challenge is to put pride aside and to put a sense of entitlement aside. She sends, we do good in response. That's the tough thing. You can't do that if you don't walk closely with the Lord. <laughs> you just can't. Okay. Um, can we really do this consistently? When we are at our most exhausted, our most stressed out, our most irritable moments, can we still do this? Yes. And why can't we? That's right. Because we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And we can overcome those things. We can, you can overcome those sinful tendencies. We can do better in these ways. Our ability to do this will also be tied to what Revelation 2, 1-5 through 5 teaches about losing our first love for Christ. We need to repent and do the first works again. Perhaps our marriages are kind of in a ditch because our love for the Lord has kind of gotten in a ditch too. Those things are necessarily connected. Okay. My ability to deal with stress, my ability to deal with the hardships and the difficulties of marriage and family and life in general is tied directly to my walk with, with Christ. If I'm not walking closely with him, I'm, I'm going to be defeated by evil constantly. Okay. <clears throat> I, swear, I was just um, talking with brother, brother Jim over there, just thinking, looking at what scripture says about what husbands are supposed to do, Again and again, I'm like, this is a man we're talking about, right? <laughs> like, this is a human being we're talking about. It's supposed to do this and it's supposed to be like this, but we can do this. You guys ever heard of Keith Green? Remember Keith Green, the singer? Okay. <laughs> Anyone here ever read the book about his life called No Compromise that his wife wrote? It's a great book. He was, he was radical in his following of, of Christ. He was only 28 years old when he died. Died in a plane crash with two of his kids. It was so sad. But for those six years, he was a believer. He, he was a fantastic piano player and a great songwriter. The very last song that he ever wrote before he was tragically killed is called Grace by Which I Stand. 
And the thing that makes his music, the reason, like every generation of Christians will rediscover him and be like, wow, this guy's music is fantastic and his lyrics are so convicting. But listen to this. The lyrics go, Lord, the feelings are not the same. I guess I'm older. I guess I've changed. Okay, he's 28 years old. It says, and how I wished it had been explained that as you're growing, you must remember that nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. I know that I would surely fall away except for grace by which I'm saved. And he says, Lord, I remember that special way I vowed to serve you when it was brand new. But like Peter, I can't even watch and pray one hour with you. And I bet I could deny you too. Well, nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. I'm sure that my whole life would waste away except for grace by which I'm saved. Isn't that great? That's true. It's like, I guess I'm older. I guess I've changed. The feelings are not the same. You know, I remember that special way I vowed to serve you when it was brand new, but now I'm like Peter. I can't even watch him pray. So he struggled. He struggled, you know, and people looked at him as such a, a leader. You know, this guy led so many people to Christ. And like all the thing that made him so unusual, <clears throat> even Christian artists, I've, I've seen interviews with Christian artists, he didn't charge money for concerts or his albums. Every in the, in the Christian um, bookstores where they sold his albums and tapes and stuff, it just said "Give as you feel led." His concerts were all free, and it was just he was so hardcore radical about everything like that. He, he just that's why his wife wrote a book about him called "No Compromise." Like he was just we're living our lives for the Lord. It was kind of he did things that were dangerous. He had like seventeen homeless people that lived in his house with his wife and his kids and people are like, you're crazy. And he's like, no, go for sinners and go for the worst. He'd like drive in the middle of downtown and find homeless people and put them in his car, bring them home, witness to them all night long. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and people are going, you're putting your family in danger. They got robbed numerous times, but he's like, he didn't care. It was, he was just so radical. But if you ever get a chance to read no compromise, it's, it's really, it's a remarkable book. It really is. And yet he really struggled. He struggled to, to have assurance and struggled for that. And that's why people think this last song he wrote was kind of his, he finally really had a sense that it's all of grace and has nothing to do with me. And he was on his way to becoming reformed. I think he would have been reformed eventually because he was such a voracious Bible reader. That was one thing about him. But <clears throat> just remember that. The, the struggle to be close to God, that's just common to everybody. And there are no super saints. Even the people we look up to went through the dark night of the soul and went through days that were really hard. You know, I remember the Luther biographies that we had to read. There were times Luther, Luther admits he went um, like eight days one time without reading his Bible or praying or doing anything. He was so depressed he couldn't even get out of bed for um, weeks at a time when he was in the Wartburg Castle because he heard about the Peasants' Revolt and like tens of thousands of people got killed and people were saying it was his fault for these Reformation things. And he just was like, all these dead people, it's all my fault. And he just felt so down and depressed. So just know that everyone goes through those kinds of struggles. It's common to everybody. Everybody goes through through that kind of thing. Okay, now, Priolo then has a great little section where he says, um, do you have the symptoms of battle fatigue? Remember this? He says, here, here are some of the symptoms. Telling yourself things like, she'll never change, 
I just can't live with this woman any longer, permitting yourself to become bitter at her, relinquishing your spiritual leadership. After all, she won't let me lead anyway. Unnecessarily limiting the scope of your communication with her because of unsuccessful attempts to resolve conflicts in the past, allowing anger or fear to keep you from confronting her biblically, allowing yourself to become sinfully angry, anxious, or depressed about the hurtful things she does to you, allowing your hurt feelings to keep you from fulfilling your biblical responsibilities as a husband and or father, resorting to sinful retaliatory actions such as gossip, withdrawal, slander, name-calling, pouting, temper tantrums, sulking, threats, quarreling, abusive speech. Can adults do that kind of stuff? Sure, sure. Sometimes we provoke her to sin because we've consistently been overcome by evil, okay, and, and have not overcome it with good. If we respond to her sin with our own sin, then we're just compounding the cycle. And so to me, that was the big thing I got from this was repent and do the first works. What are the things I did that I was really good at early on and really consistent about, or I'm not as consistent with now? And also, when she sins or wrongs me in some way, my response cannot be to sin back. It's got to be, okay, here's evil. Evil has now come at me. Will I be overcome by it, defeated by it, or will I overcome it with good? Okay, now, no one's going to do it perfectly, but that's what we've got to have in our mind. Okay, she sins, she's wronged me. I'm going to overcome it with good. That's the key. Okay, another important way we sin against our wives is not acting on the things that she tells us she wants us to do to help her feel more loved and cherished. Remember at the beginning of, of Priolo's book, he said, counsel in the heart of man is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And so we, when we were first courting her and wanting to you know, win her affection, we learned what to do, right? We learned how to draw out from her. What does she like? What does she not like? Okay, what does she need me to do that makes her really happy, that gives her a sense that, that I really do love her? And it's often things you don't think of. It's stuff that you wouldn't know unless you communicated with her and really had deep fellowship with her and like, okay, so she, she wants me to do this and I shouldn't do that or whatever. That's one thing I had to learn very early on. Amy does not like sarcasm and does not like to be teased. And I made that mistake once or twice. And she said, because she was in a family that did that and it was really bad. And so <clears throat> I had to learn not to do that. She said, it really upsets me when you tease or mess with me or, like, poke at me or tickle me and stuff like that. If I tell you to stop, I'm serious. And it's like, okay, I'll stop. Now, that, that is one I learned, tw- like, 27 years ago and haven't done anymore. Because <laughs> I, could, I could tell, okay, this is not going to progress the way I want it to if I, if I don't quit acting like an idiot. So, okay. Um, that's, probably, that's probably a good place. I, gotta, I do have a couple more things here. He goes through those, um, those conflict examples um, and talks about warfare. We got, actually, we'll look at a couple of these. The first conflict, so here, here's one. Your wife informs you she needs a new widget for the kitchen. You disagree about it being something that's really necessary, but after listening to her appeal, you concede to the purchase. The only stipulation you place on her is that she's not to spend more than $35 on the widget. So she comes home from the store with the most expensive version of the widget on the market, costing 75 bucks. Okay, so she just hit you in the neck with a stinging pelt from her pea shooter. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to lash, or are you going to unleash your pet rattlesnake on her with a string of unbiblical utterances? No. 
This time you're going to do what you've been planning to do since the last time she blatantly ignored your instructions. You're going to pull out your slingshot and carefully load it with good. After forcing yourself to say something nice about the widget, which you still believe is superfluous, you're going to calmly set her down and gently ask her if she remembered your instructions to be certain you have the details right before you convict her. After all, the Bible says, let the Lord's bondservant, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. And such a biblical response is a good one. Okay? So there, there's a good, good example. There's a good way to overcome sin with good. Because you shouldn't have done that. If, if you're, you know, you're the head of the family, if you told her, don't spend more than this, and she almost doubled it, um, that was blatantly ignoring what, what you told her, right? Okay, the second one. Before you can finish the first sentence of your argument, she becomes highly defensive. As you try again, she raises her voice, accuses you of being cheap, and stands up crying, you don't love me. You never buy me anything I asked for without making me feel miserable about it. I need it, and I'm not going to take it back. Then she stomps out of the room and storms off to the bedroom, slamming the door so hard that three pictures and a plate fly off the wall. She has bruised your head with a 45 caliber slug. Now what are you going to do? What you're going to do is prayerfully go back to your biblical arsenal and pull out your 357 Magnum. You've thought about this, you've thought this through already, so it's no big deal. You've practiced it countless times in your mind. You've decided that while she's in the bedroom fuming at you, you're going to do the dishes for her. After that, you'll vacuum the floor. Then you'll make her a cup of tea and bring it up to her on a tray, along with a fresh flower you just cut from the yard and placed in her favorite bud vase. Yes, you say to yourself, this will do her in. She'll never be able to resist. The anticipation grows. As you begin to do those loving things for her, your feelings begin to change. You notice a spring in your step and a song starting, starting to come from your mouth. This will stop her dead in her tracks. The battle is just about over. As you walk into the bedroom with the tea and flowers, she glares at you. Before you can utter a word, she blurts out, You're so selfish. I hate you. I'm sorry I ever married you. Please go away and leave me alone. She refuses to talk to you further and instead gives you the cold shoulder and the evil eye. As you walk out the door, you're stunned and confused that she could refuse such kindness. She's just thrown a javelin through your heart, and you're bleeding badly. You pray, Lord, what do I do now? I wasn't prepared for this. Your mind races for another weapon to pull out of your arsenal, but nothing you can think of seems appropriate for this battle. So you grab your Bible and begin searching for appropriate passages to help you plan your next move. You begin reading Galatians 6.1, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted. You prayerfully trace a string through the Bible of 23 cross-references on how to bless and be kind to those who hate and curse you. Little by little, the new battle plan emerges. You decide you're going to write her a letter. She really loves it when I write her letters, you recall. I will assure her of my love for her, acknowledge any faults that I'm aware of, and will let her know I'm willing to do whatever is biblically necessary in order to resolve this issue. I'm also going to remind her that, as a Christian, she too has a responsibility to resolve this conflict biblically. I'll support my case with scripture. When you finish the letter, you gently walk into the bedroom where she's lying on the bed crying. You put your arms around her, assure her of your love, give her the letter, and tell her that you'll be waiting in the living room for her to finish resolving the conflict according to biblical principles, assuring her that you have every intention of doing so yourself. Then you walk out, leaving her to stew in her own juices while reading the letter 
looking at the flower and remembering the chores you've done for her, the tea you brought for her, and most of all, the gentle spirit with which you've implored her to repent. Then it happens, as you're sitting on the sofa in the living room praying for a solution, you hear the door to the bedroom begin to open. In walks your wife with tears in her eyes. She walks over to you, throws her arms around you, thanking you for responding so lovingly to her and asking you to forgive her for her sinful reactions. As you continue to talk, the conflict is brought to a biblical conclusion, and you both walk away closer to each other and closer to the Lord. Now the thought of viewing your wife as an enemy, as I've suggested in this chapter, may or may not be appealing to you. But remember, you are not only commanded to love your wife, you're commanded to love your, your neighbor as well as your enemy. As I sometimes tell my counselees, if you find it hard to love your wife, try loving her as your neighbor. If that seems too hard, then love her as your enemy. <laughs> the point is that whether you do so as an enemy, a neighbor, or a wife, you have no choice as a Christian but to love her and overcome her evil with good. So that's a pretty radical example there. Um, hopefully, you know, our relationships, that hopefully she would be a little less um, combative than that. Um, but you see, you get the point though, overcome evil with good. I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't be cheap initially. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I've got some discussion questions over there, but I'll close with some prayer and then we can break into a couple groups. Father, thank you for this time to be with my brothers and I pray that, um, you bless those of us who are married to, Never be overcome by evil, but to, and not to take vengeance um, by our actions or words or manners or anything, but to overcome evil with good when we're sinned against. And I pray that our, our wife would be able to do that too with us when we sin, that they would not fire back, but that they'd overcome our evil with good. But Lord, help us to be uh, the ones that are the strong, um, the ones that are, are firm in our walk with Christ, are consistent in our devotions, and who... Um, will we'll repent and do the first works and, and love her uh, the way we did when we were passionately in love when we first were courting, engaged, and early on in our marriages. Help us to consistently be that loving presence in her life and uh, to love truly as Christ loves the church and to not be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.